0: My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating Girl Boners for years.
1: It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex.
0: What comes to mind when you think of Christianity and sex? If you're like many people, probably nothing positive. Today you're going to hear about another option— one in which you can embrace faith and sex positivity at the same time. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so thankful that you're listening. Last week, I had the pleasure of chatting with Nadia Bolzweber and Amy Brenneman in the studio in celebration of Nadia's groundbreaking new book, Shameless, A Sexual Reformation. Nadia first made the New York Times bestsellers list with her memoir, Patrix, followed by Accidental Saints in 2015. She's also the founder and former pastor of a Lutheran congregation in Denver that embraces not only God and the Bible, but queerness and comprehensive sex education. Nadia now speaks around the world and recently appeared on stage with Gloria Steinem holding a vagina sculpture made out of melted purity rings. Yeah, she's pretty incredible. As is actress, writer, and producer... Amy Brenneman. You may recognize Amy from her performance as Detective Janice LeCulci in ABC's NYPD Blue, for which she was nominated for two Emmy Awards, and her portrayal of psychiatrist Violet Turner on the Grey's Anatomy spinoff, Private Practice. While Nadia grew up in a fundamentalist Christian environment, then moved away from her Christianity for years before becoming a pastor— Amy grew up in a church she described as sort of free to be you and me Godspell and went on to study comparative religion at Harvard. The two had so much to say about sexual messaging we received from early on, talking to kids about sex amid those mixed emotions, the parallels between food culture and porn, sexual shame, sexual pleasure, and ways to find hope and healing. Before I share our conversation, here's a special message from our resident sex and relationship therapist, Dr. Megan Fleming.
2: August, I wanted to say that this is such a powerful episode today about sexual shame. And I hope those listening, you know, it may or may not touch your own personal lives, but maybe you know of somebody else who would benefit from listening. So I hope you certainly will sort of share um, because sexual shame is a silent killer of sex lives worldwide. It just doesn't discriminate, not about gender, race, financial worth, religion, sort of ubiquitous shame can be in our lives. And the part I want you to get is regardless of the root, shame can be overcome. We weren't born with it. We weren't born, you know, we were born not ashamed, right? We were born whole. And sexual shame is a learned behavior and it can be extinguished. It's something that we were taught, but it really doesn't belong to us. So the way to overpower sexual shame is really through a process of love and acceptance. And I know that might sound a little bit woo-woo, but there really is something to be said about shining the light on it. And really, it's a process that's part of uh, one of the core benefits of talk therapies, where what happens is you discuss, you unpack it slowly, step by step, re-experiencing old memories, um, any of the stimulus that causes it revokes, right, the shame or other negative feelings, right? It might be also uh, guilt, it might be anxiety. And what happens is you consciously re-experience these feelings and the state in the presence of another, and in this case, a therapist, until that negative charge or emotion is no longer associated with the core issue. In this case, it would be your um, sex and sexuality and your sexual identity, right? And so this is what we know, right? That neurons that fire together, wire together. And this is the process of what we, how we extinguish, right? These unwanted and not needed neuropathways. pathways. They were conditioned a long time ago, these thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and they're definitely not needed now. And what happens is then new, sensual, sexy, embodied thoughts and feelings are experienced. And those are the neurons that are wired together to fire together. And this is all part of a healing process and what I like to call Name It to Tame It. And also, Name It to Tame It is one of the skills that I'm going to be teaching in my upcoming five-week course, Thrive, which for those of you who know me, I'm really excited to bring to you. So I just want to let you know a webinar is going to be announced soon where I'm going to share all about the fundamentals for this Thrive course and what you can expect each week. I'm also going to be on the uh, webinar live so that I can answer any questions you might have. So to learn more about this Thrive program that is coming soon, connect with me on my website, Great Life, Great Sex, through the contact page, or by signing up for my free gift, 7 Amazingly Helpful Ways to Turn Your Relationship Around. And I will be sure to send you the details. More soon.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. That was really powerful. I hope everyone listening will check out her offerings, her findings on her website. And while you're at it, hop over to augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org to sign up for occasional Girl Boner extras by email. And do check out my books, Girl Boner, The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment, and Girl Boner Journal. The religion chapter of Girl Boner is actually one of my favorites. It features interviews with a queer pastor, a gay priest, a Jewish Orthodox sex therapist, and a Muslim sex therapist, as well as quotes from a proudly kinky Christian and journaling prompts to help you go through your own sexual empowerment journey better. Now, without further ado, my chat with the incomparable Nadia Bolzweber and Amy Brenneman. First, I'm so honored to have you both here. Nadia, your new book, Shameless, is incredible. And Amy, I'm a big fan. I loved you in private practice. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you. I love, Nadia, that in your interviews with your parishioners, you asked a question very similar to one that I ask most of my guests about what you learned about sex and sexuality and your bodies Mm. growing up. I wonder what you learned. What was the first message you recall learning about sex?
3: I think the first thing was when I started, when I went through puberty, there was definitely this talk that I got, which was because we had lots of college guys at my house all the time because my dad was on the faculty at the Air Force Academy. So there were cadets at our house constantly. And, um, there was this talk about like, um, well, you should know that you can't, you know, you're at a point now you can't rough house with, with men anymore. You can't, you know, play in a certain way. You can't, you know, you have to be very careful about, you know, you can't sit on their laps. You can't like all of these rules because men get sexually aroused and, um, you need to be careful that that doesn't happen. And that, because once boys are aroused to a certain point, they can't help themselves. They, they're not, they're, they can't sort of be held responsible. And so really, purity culture equals rape culture. I mean, that is a huge foundation for rape culture in our country, are, is that people received that message, but received it, oddly, in God's name.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy. What about you, Amy? What did you learn?
1: Well, I... I grew up in a congregational church in New England so we were kind of free to be you and me God spell. so we <laughs> I remember this once although I had a friend who was um, a fundamentalist Christian mm-hmm. but she went to this super cool camp in Maine where you could water ski so one summer between like 7th and 8th grade or 8th and ninth, I had one week at our UCC camp where literally it was almost like a little too much because I wasn't there yet it was like if you want to explore this is a safe place it was a little like <laughs> okay and then but the point being very permissive progressive but then i went up with uh jill to this camp where it's like you got off it was on an island and you got off the boat and they're like have you taken jesus christ your personal savior and you're like i just got here i just got here man can i have a cigarette you know (laughs) but they but and then i was actually a really funny triad because our other friend was a christian scientist so we have fundamentals christian i'm sort of progressive Carol, who has more morality, or kind of, she was like really freaked out by how aggressive these guys were. I intuited, I'm not really answering your question, but this is like a weird story when I think about it. I intuited. Unless I said yes, I wouldn't be able to water ski. Like it was somehow your ticket to being able to water ski. And I knew, slightly because I'm a codependent and slightly because I already was like a student of religion, I knew it was super important to these southern girls that I said yes. So this one day they are like, you know, have you taken Jesus Christ? And I was like, yes. And they're like, that's so beautiful. I was like, I know.
3: I'm Can just I go water skiing? pleasing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I didn't give a shit one way or the other. Yeah. So point being, I got—I didn't get purity culture. I got a lot of vagueness. I have two older brothers. So I knew about, pen- I'd seen penises. But the first time Michael Clinton slow danced with me and I felt a boner, I was like, nobody fucking told me it changes shape entirely. <laughs> it's an entirely different thing you know yeah, yeah, my parents had this beautiful marriage they did for 65 years the beautiful part of it but not the complete story and I learned more about my mother's well she'll never hear this but my here's the murk that I grew up with that became clearer my mother was uh, not a virgin when she married my father my father was he was 22 years old she was 25 there was murk around that so actually I do have an answer to this question there was a lot about like making sure Mr. Wright and wanting to make sure Mr. Wright very, because my father's an amazing guy was to the day he died. But I think my mother always felt like this was not the natural order of things. It's okay for a man not to be a virgin baby at marriage, but. Not the other way around. So you think
3: she had yeah. some shame about that? Well,
1: or? here's the full story. Again, she's 92. <laughs> Watch her listen to this. She probably subscribed. So I had an, abo- oh, yeah. I had an abortion at 21. <laughs> I had no shame around it. Um, but inherently, I had no shame. My boyfriend was wonderful. But I immediately received these messages like, don't tell too many. I was like, too many people. I was like, OK. OK, I guess. So it's supposed-.
3: more propriety.
1: It was like so. Your dad's gonna get upset or because your they'll judge be- you, right? Yeah, I'm mean, not like okay. So then I, again, murky, murky, murky. I'm at this point really sexually having a great time in my 20s. So then, cut to 2004. I uh, there was a big march for women's lives. We're still marching. In 2004, Tyne Daly said to me, I can't believe we're still fucking marching. And oh, now gosh. that's what I say to the younger yeah. people. Anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. so I come back to New York. show my friend's apartment showing um, my mom. I was like, oh, here's pictures of the march and stuff. And um, my, I'll never forget it. She was like in her 80s, and she was like, I had an abortion. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And I was like, you know what, Mom? I'm not surprised. I've yeah. always felt that there was a... It was 1945. She was at Radcliffe. Bless World War Two was over. <sighs> she didn't really know the guy. She was sort of drunk.
3: Oh, bless her.
1: Mm. Oh. She went to this one lady in Cambridge. Then she meets my dad. They fall madly in love. Oh. She had a really hard time getting pregnant. Oh. And I said to her, "You know, that was not the reason you had fertility oh. problems. Mm. That
3: just hurts my heart. And so to that carry was that merc. for so long. So I. But yeah. in a way,
1: it was like. Oh that was the fog. So That's I didn't right. get explicit stuff but I got fog and I was like That's oh, that right. was the, the fog.
3: murk. Now uh, you know what that was. That that was, what was. was. Yes. That's fascinating.
0: Really well said oh, well, the murk. Well, well. I relate to that too. That's so interesting. Nadia, when did you start to reject some of those ideas or did you immediately go that doesn't make sense that that men have this uncontrollable lust?
3: Yeah, it's it's interesting because <clears throat> you don't really learn you're not taught generally to question the things you are raised to believe. And so it's a skill <laughs> that you develop slowly. And and if you undertake that project and you realize, I reject things I was taught to believe, um, then you're left going, how do I feel about who I was when I still believed it? Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. So, um, so I didn't know to question it for a, for a while. And I think it was the moment I left the church was it, it really had to do with a situation where it was a predominantly white church. There were a couple African-American families and there was all this purity culture. And I knew for a fact that two of the girls in my youth group had gotten pregnant and very quietly that was dealt with. Uh, they were termi- The pregnancies were terminated and nobody said anything. It was very hush-hush. And the, uh, one of the African-American girls in the, in, the, in the youth group got pregnant when she was, I believe, 16. <clears throat> and she chose to keep the baby. And the youth group and the church I was raised in all sat together. We, we, we were kind of a tight group. And in that church, the male domination is so strong that the church is run by a group called the elders. And the elders were all... Uh, older white men, and the elders got together and decided, uh, you know what are we gonna do and they decided about this girl about this girl, and they said to her, You made an adult decision, and therefore Uh, you are not a youth anymore. And you are not to sit with the youth group. So she had to sit uh, with the adults and with her parents. And um, they took her support system away when she needed it the most. These white men made this decision for this young black woman. And that's when I was like, I'm out. I can't Mm. do this anymore. And it's interesting, because in all fairness, I've, I've told that and to um, a member of my family who said, well, I don't think that's the way that happened at all. And I like, who, who knows? It's just what I remember. Right. And so um, that was the point where I went, I can't do this anymore.
0: And then did you <laughs> decide to pursue ministry sometime after that to to take another route to teach something different?
3: Oh, uh, yeah, but there was 10 years in between. Well, so, was, can
0: I ask,
1: so what yeah. denomination was that? Church
3: of Christ. And is that what I would think of as evangelical? or? Probably. Okay. It's actually very sectarian, um, almost fundamentalist, okay. because they believed they were the only Christians. So I was raised believing that only Church of Christ people went to heaven. Like, it was that extreme. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Red mm-hmm.
1: velvet robe, motherfucker. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. You're all out. Yeah.
3: <laughs> So um, when I left, I, I felt angry. And also, I just, what happened was, here are the things I was taught to believe. And then when I was experiencing what we call actual reality, when those two things didn't match, what am I going to do? Ignore my, my actual experience and the reality of my life in order to maintain a doctrine someone told me? I, I li- like Literally, I can't do that. And so when I was in high school and I had these gay friends who were amazing and who loved me and thought I was fabulous when it felt like nobody else did, and then that reality crashed up against what i was taught to believe that being gay is a sin and i was like i don't that doesn't feel right to me right and it creates this wobbly feeling in us when when we're reassessing things we were taught to believe Um, And so that was the process. So I left Christianity for 10 years. I, I couldn't have anything to do with it. I was so angry about my upbringing. And for 10 years, I was part of, I tried being a Quaker for a while. I tried being Unitarian. I explored sort of Wicca and goddess religion stuff. And I'm so grateful I did because there's a way in which I had to bask in a female image of God for long enough that it could heal something inside of me and I could go back to the symbol system that formed me um, in a healthy, integrated way.
0: Wow, that's really powerful. One thing I really love about your book is the way that you challenge these ideas we have about the Bible and interpretations of stories and these phrases that one word can make a huge difference one in particular and i don't recall the exact phrase but it was about you know being in the image of god
3: mm-hmm.
0: woman and like male and yeah, female
3: that we're we're created not in the male or female not image or. of god it, it actually is we're created in the male and female yes. image of god
0: which <clears throat> allows for so much space for transgender inter- and for intersex intersex I mean, and just totally. fluidity that's right
3: <laughs> i mean that that intersex people are that is a naturally occurring thing in the world
0: as Th- common as red hair yeah. yeah and and it's
3: and it's uh it just me- really yeah mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It, it messes with our dualistic thinking and dualistic thinking is you know we were having a conversation on the way over that's the beginner course when you have when you have to th- see everything is black and white good or bad us, us or them yeah. and and like i i felt healed enough from the pain of my fundamentalist upbringing because that's what they give you dualistic thinking right i knew i was free from that not when i left it cuz to be honest i you can take the fundamentalism out of the girl but it's hard to take the, girl out, or the other way. Girl out of fundamentalism, but can't take the fundamentalism out of the girl because I replaced it with radical leftist politics. And so it was very much the same construct um, intellectually and Tribal. spiritually. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when I could look back on my fundamentalist upbringing that gave me the dualistic thinking, and when I could see good parts, when I... When acknowledging that there were some things that were good and some things that were beautiful, and that acknowledgement did not feel like a betrayal of the girl who was hurt, that's when I knew I was free. When I could look back on it and not think dualistically about it itself, I was free from it. Mm.
1: Well, I love, I think it's toward <clears throat> the very end of your book where you talk about being the. The, the good parts, the gratitude you have is this habit of looking for meaning and this habit of worship yes. and this habit, which I think is, you know, not even sure the 12 steps and it's like, that's very, it, I always love, it's like, listen with that third step. It's like, I, I don't know what your higher power. I don't know, you know, but it's, we know there is a higher power, you know? And so there's a habit of like, of, of knowing that my ego is not God. Um, mm. And, and that, cause I, I feel that way hmm. too. Like I, and I, my, I go to this church in Pasadena and my daughter and I go very regularly and my my son and my husband don't go and I wouldn't force them to. But I said to my son, I was like, listen, I don't care if you go to church. Like it's not, but I do care like for like a couple hours every week you do something that's out of the ordinary because I do believe in sort of that Sabbath mentality and, and you're in service to others. So you figure out what that is. You know, you want to do a Mm. soup kitchen or you want to pick up trash Mm. or you want to, um, but then it was really interesting because I said, I said, um, I said, it's important to, for me, you know, to, to like, just really make sure you're thinking about other people, like in a conscious way. Right. And not just, Mm. you know, and then, um, my son is pretty amazing. And he looked right at me and without defiantly, he said, mom, I think about other people all the time. Oh, huh. And I said, you know what you do? Oh,
3: Uh so church is
1: going to be, so let's continue this conversation. So maybe it's not like you're, you know, I need to go to church, but, but I do think it's, it's exactly what you said in your book. Like there's certain habits
3: that are good habits, Mm -hmm. right? That our life is infused with the impulse toward meaning-making and toward connecting with the divine and with other people and with singing and music and patterning our lives during the year together. All of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what being religious is to me.
0: Completely. And I love that you both shared that because I feel like there is a bit of stigma around being Christian right now if you have progressive ideals. And I hear these really lump statements about Mm. if you know these christians are against all these people
1: well it's funny my uh my mentor ed bacon who nadia knows he used to be the rector at all Saints. i mean he wrote this book called eight habits of love and and i remember him you know and i wasn't really intimately part of his process but he wanted to share he's like i don't think i'm going to use the word christian (laughs) like or i'm going to use it in a very you know in the same way nadia and i were talking earlier that, you know, the word pornography means a million different things. There's a million different kinds of porn. There's a million different kinds of uses of porn. There needs to be more, you know, like Eskimos have all those words for snow. Like there's, there needs to be more words, you know, because what you mean by Christian is different from what
3: you mean by Christian.
1: And, you know, you must run into this quite a lot as a clergy.
3: All the time. And I mean, I think part of it is my, I want my life and my work to be an antidote to, that other form of Christianity that people assume that's what all it is, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're definitely doing that. So you're both parents, and I loved, Nadia, in your book you talked about wanting to do better for your daughter in particular with mm. having the talk.
1: yeah, <laughs> And that
0: it still brought up all these complicated feelings and you're like on the way to the grocery store yeah. and it just sort of came up. Could threw you threw a book at her.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, do you have any questions? Know? Here's a book. Yeah.
0: Oh. But then it came to a point where you shared some really beautiful messages. Yeah. Could you speak to that? Because I feel like yeah. so many people relate because generationally, inevitably, our parents knew so much less And have less freedom and have good intentions. Of course.
3: It's really, it's very difficult talking to your kids about this. It's uncomfortable. I mean, I, I really struggled when they were young. I didn't want them to be uncomfortable. I didn't want to be uncomfortable. I was very shut down sexually at that point in my life. And so I had my own stuff about everything. And so much of parenting is like dealing with your own shit. So that that's not what is getting on your kids. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. by the to- by the time I dealt with some of my own stuff sexually and became less of an anxious presence around that topic, now I've overshot it because I can have a conversation about anything and my heart rate right? won't go up but uh, <laughs> but but uh, when I was able to do that, it was so much easier to talk to my children. And so it's like, part of parenting and actually any kind of leadership, I think, is knowing what your own shit is and grabbing a shovel and getting it out of the way so that that's not what people have to step through to get to you.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. What about you, Amy? Did you have an intention with, as you're knowing that your children are growing up and having those conversations?
1: Right. Um, So I have a daughter who's 17 now and a 13-year-old son. And my daughter has um, what the culture would call it intellectual disability. I again needs to be better words, but point being, it's not a was not a typical adolescent development. And but in some ways, it was because she had a boyfriend starting at about fifteen, uh, this really lovely guy, and they're still together, although it's sort of transitioning a little bit. Um, we, I would talk, fi- yeah. So in a way, it was easier because. Everything we were making it up as we went along, so um, and she didn't have sort of some self consciousness, sort of it was all atypical. But she, she and I had this awesome moment that Brad, my husband, always like she was like you handled that really well. So she was in love with her boyfriend, and they were smooching. And what was interesting, I'll tell you, a really interesting moment was I was like driving the minivan, you know, and they're like in the back, and the first time I saw in the rear view that they were making out, I got a sexual hit. Oh, it was for reals. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was wow. like, Whoop, yeah, they're what's they're that? they're doing it,
0: and I love that's... that you can just say that because that's natural. well, that was like we, we talked were talking about, about that earlier. I mean, it's an at, at first I response. was like, yeah. it's empathy. Actually. Oh my god, yeah.
1: like I'm fucked Good up. Point. It's not like I was yeah. getting off, but I was no. like, empathy. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I know what that is. Yeah, totally. and they are connected, yeah. you know. Yeah. So they, um, so for a lot of different reasons, the mom and I, they were not going to go all the way for a while, if ever, you know. So. Anyway, she would talk about, um, she's like, you know, Jordan wants to sleep over, and oh, it's all so beautifully, beautiful innocence, like... And, and he's gonna sleep here and we're gonna make coffee for you and dad and da, da, da. I was mm-hmm. like that was really, and so I would sort of I was like, Oh, that sounds so nice, and yeah, you mm-hmm. we guys were so fond of each other, da, da. and then it was like going, she was persevering a little bit more. So I was hanging out with her that time one night, she's like, He's gonna sleep right here, and I yeah, this is his pillow, da, da. and I just I was like, Yeah, sure. That's um that's not gonna happen.
3: Yeah.
1: And she was like, Why? And I said, Well, you know. We don't talk about it all the time, but remember in, like, fifth grade, eighth grade, of the talk, and I said, the way you guys feel about each other and how old he is, it would be really natural. He would want to put his penis in your vagina. And I kind of, you know, my daughter can have ADD stuff, so, so but she was, like, riveted. <laughs> and she literally looked at me, and she goes, oh, I, I don't want that to happen
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh thank goodness
1: you you brought that up then and I was oh, like you know what because yeah. I was exactly the same way my sexual thing didn't really drop until like freshman year of college and then I was off to the races but all during high school like I had a really sweet little boyfriend Not he was two years older really really sweet guy who would just want to make out with me mm-hmm. and I was like fully aware of I'm not quite there yet.
3: I'm not having the same. My my, experience my son you are. talks about
1: this. He's 13. Yeah, and he is. I mean, he knows chemically. He's like some of my friends. You know, are, I'm not there. I was like, yeah. I was exactly the same way, you know. And then when you're into it, you're into it. Yeah,
3: I you know? that that switch flipped for me when I was 17. And you know, it's interesting because yeah. even with um, even with all the messages I had growing up, it's interesting because my I the first time I had sex was when I was 17. And it was with somebody, uh, a boyfriend. He was twenty and very experienced for a twenty year old. I have to say, but uh, whew. but anyway, he. Um, I mean, we really loved each other, and and we were together for several weeks before we had sex. And he actually took me to Planned Parenthood to make sure that I had birth control I, I felt comfortable with before we ever had sex. Right? Awesome dude, well, I, totally. Yeah, and amazing. he was an amazing. Lover. Mm. So my introduction to sex was having good sex wow yeah me too. Me too. I never had That's that awesome. fumbly awkward yeah. teenage boy sex
0: so you knew you were because ha- I remember not really real like now I know I was having sex before I realized I was having sex uh, if you if you think it's only intercourse
3: right okay which sure. I think also
0: comes right. from purity culture probably right. that yeah. it has to be a penis in a vagina right but it, it took me a long time to go oh actually
3: right that was happening yeah you know I yes. had no idea
0: is that something you encountered in your interviews of with people about their experiences as kind of a complete almost ignorance around what sex is.
3: Well, yeah, I think you're right because purity culture is like, you know, uh, penis and a vagina. That's what sex is. And so there actually is a high... Rate of anal sex in purity culture oh, or subcultures. Because they no think kidding. that's fine. No kidding. Like that one's allowed. It's like, ha- this is how bizarre legalism is when it comes down to it. Right? So with the
0: purity rings, they should give you lots of lube, just <laughs> Oh my right.
1: God, please, for the love of God. <laughs> oh, wow. I
0: had, you know, it's funny
1: thinking, I hadn't, this hadn't come up for you before, but I had a really a uh, tight vagina mm. and I knew that because I was a runner I was a distance runner mm. and I could not wear a tampon I would try to wear a tampon oh, and it wow. was excruciating oh, wow. so I knew
3: and it wasn't just the uh, hymen kind it's of issue just
1: I'm not sure yeah, I just yeah. I, and I knew it's like it I'm gonna have to have a really great guy you mm. know what I mean like I it's it's mm. and uh so, but similar where I so because I was like in my head a lot and like not into it in high school and I didn't have purity culture but I had this thing of like I'll be in i'll be like 25 right you know you yeah, have i'll be in co- i kept having this like i'll be in on a college campus and he'll be a prof. i had some weird listening to carol king's I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so then immediately i left high school early i got into college early left high school to i had a friend who was an au pair in paris and like just immediately i got on the european soil and just bloomed like a flower you know I was just like ugh. And so I was in Greece and met this great guy. I was And you know it was just, it was truly like.
3: That I, was your first time? Ah.
1: But with that, he was an American guy, yeah. but we were in this beautiful. And, you know, so all of my things, like, I'm going to have to know somebody really well. Well, within, you know, two hours we were making out and it was so beautiful. He said, I sense such, you know. And then he was like feeling around and he's like, he's like, oh, you're a virgin. And I was like, I know. And he looked at me, he's like, why? And I looked right at him and I was like, I don't know. Huh. And we had sex two days later. Like, oh, it literally.
3: No. Interesting. It what was an like, there's no reason too. anymore
1: yeah, for why? this. I don't know. And he was gentle and yeah, slow, slow and, like, gave me oral sex, gave me yeah, all these yeah. treats because actually the intercourse w- did not feel great. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I, I think the gift of having just the body that I did mm-hmm. was I was like, I this could rip me. I got yeah, to. Right. You had to
0: take yeah. your time. I had to, to be very right thoughtful yeah.
1: about yeah. it. And have yeah. a kind yeah. person yeah. who is conscious. You know, I'm,
3: I'm forever grateful that my first experience was a good one because the number of interviews I did where, um, somebody's first sexual experience was, a a, a violent one was of assault. That is not an uncommon story, you know, and the process of reclaiming their own, pleasure and body and allowing frayed wires to reconnect and things like that is is a long process so i'm, I'm grateful i had the experience i did do
1: you have i find a one <clears throat> thing i'm sure you've talked about on your show too but one thing that always like breaks my heart in a way are people that and i know this has come up with some of the uh priest abuse for young men so you're assaulted but you have a sexual response yes to that's the right rape or whatever and then you feel like i'm even more fucked up no that's exactly
3: right it's because one thing that is one aspect of the abuse is not just the physical violation but it is that your response your sexual response system and your response to pleasure and your connection to it um is jacked up can be jacked up and that um that's a story i didn't I hadn't really heard um, until I was hearing these stories in my parish and in these interviews and saying, the shame part for some of the people who were sharing their story was about there was this one part that that did feel good and now I can't trust my body. I can't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and what a confusing thing to have happen.
1: Or that, or that, because you and I touched on this earlier too is because I, I, before my marriage I was a cheater and hung out with cheaters. It's this thing that gets set up of like secret, like pleasure happens in secret. Because secret is really hot. I mean, it, as a married couple, it's like you almost have to create those like... Like stealthy. Like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. oh, let's hide from the kids. So there's something that's sort of natural, but there's something that's not, you know what I yeah, mean? If you can only right. sort of feel that if, if you're doing something illicit right. or don't tell any... I mean, well, like when I... like. That common thing of the adult abuser saying to an underage person, don't tell. Oh, yeah. It's you know? that, that
0: cultivating yeah, They have the this grooming. secret little relationship right. that they feel Because it so special. Proud of, especially right. sometimes because it is an older person. Right. That's I've interviewed right. people who've said that, that they felt like, oh, this, this man wants to be with me. Yeah, like, I must be important. so important. That's and then right. feeling so much guilt around that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, it's so. It's so profoundly complicated, but I also know people who've just done a lot of work and really fought for their own life, fought for their own body, fought for their own pleasure and for their own, um, for their own sexual flourishing, um, and have, and have gotten there. So yeah. that is, that is a story that is out there for sure. Yes.
0: I love, was it Ashton? Asher? Asher. Asher. Who the trans individual that you worked with, Uh and you talked about being a part of like the ceremonies, and it was a really meaningful experience for you to go through that.
3: Yeah, yeah,
0: that's really beautiful.
3: Asher's amazing. Yeah, Asher just has been an incredible teacher for me. I mean, even though I'm on some level like I was their his pastor or mentor or whatever, but it really is a situation where. He was so filled with grace during that transition where I had I, I, it was all new to me that um it all, there was a gentleness in it that um, allowed me the the needle to move a little faster for me because of the gentleness on his end. Mm, so
0: that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. and I love the concept, even the phrase sexual flourishing speaking of words and terms mm-hmm. that we need yeah, that is a beautiful one. and also I love the fact that you talk about pleasure and reclaiming it. Mm. And as I was reading, I was thinking, I'm learning all this stuff about the Bible I didn't realize. So I wonder if she's going to tell me that the clitoris in the Bible, but it <laughs> sounds like it's not. Well, I, I cannot
3: say it is not. I just, that's not something it's, I'm aware of. Can I, so <laughs> there's I, there's I, a lot of shit in the Bible.
1: There is. <laughs> I majored in, uh, I ended up doing like Indo-Tibetan stuff. And there's all this, you know, the... Um, you know, the yoni and the thing, and there's the the images in the middle of a mandala is always a god and goddess copulating. Mm -hmm. So there's copulation, there's males and females. Like, is there... We don't really have that. Well, Song
0: of Songs you wrote about. And and I was totally dumbfounded that, first of all, the way you wrote about it is completely brilliant. (laughs) I'm not going to give it away. So sneaky. But I was like on the edge of my seat like this. And then who is that person? (laughs) Like I'm supposed to know this story. (laughs) And then also I didn't realize that people had turned that into a story about Jesus'
3: love for the church. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like completely you know what irrational. That made me, you know what that made
0: me think of
1: is Rumi and Hafiz, though. Uh-huh. Because yeah. in the Sufi mm-hmm. cult, you know, Rumi just had this. So it's like, is it uh, the erotic love for the divine? It, was he in love with this, a human? Who knows? It's all the same. I mean, that's what I think is interesting, too, is mm-hmm. like that feeling of being embodied you know, a whirling dervish is a click away from a couple on their beautiful marital totally, wedding night. You know, it's totally. the energy of life. Well,
3: and-, and and so rather than saying, oh, these these sacred texts that have an erotic element to them are not about carnality at all. They're only about Jesus love for the church and the divine connection. Why isn't it that. We have a glimpse into the love of God and the connection of the divine when we are in an erotic mm. abra- embrace. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, that actually reveals something about uh, divine connection as well. And I mean, that's a part of other traditions. I mean, um, for sure, it's just there's not much of that in Christianity.
0: Yeah. And I love that you talk about the ways that we talk about the spirituality that we want. Mm is very often analogous, almost like cut and pasteable, to the kind of good sex that you want. That was
3: amazing to find out. Uh, There was a, a professional sex educator in our congregation who who was uh, kind enough to lead some conversations at church. And I was anxious about it, too. honestly. I was like, oh, this could go sideways in a million ways. <laughs> and it didn't. It was beautiful. But she she asked people, she said, um, what language and words and phrases would you use to describe a spiritual experience you've had, right? And then um, she was like, look at how this also describes the kind of sex you want to have. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like genius. Mm. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe it was just because we knew we were talking about sex and spirituality. that, that... we And so then yeah. I <laughs> went on Twitter. I was like, what language and phrases would you use to describe spiritual experiences? And oh my gosh, it was like, you know, an unclenching and a warm bath and like all this mm, and yeah. a, a release and, uh, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, Wow, uh-huh. Like our spirituality and our sexuality are in conversation with each other. They flow back and forth, and yet so much of religion tries to make this huge steel wall between the two. yeah.
1: well, also what that makes me think of is the physiology, right? Mm-hmm. So the physio like, Having a huge release cry yes, feels like an yeah. orgasm, right? So it's yeah. like our bodies are craving release. We walk around with all yeah. our little. So when you can share with somebody, or you know, it's it's so interconnected. And then, I mean, I just can't. I'm a am a I'm a little down on middle down on the patriarchy <laughs> because I also feel like oh, you just weaponized like. You weaponized it all yeah. in the same way. They're mm-hmm. still doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have raped you, but you wore that dress. Like what? Mm-hmm. You had to go out of your way to make that my fault, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. But the patriarchal system, which wounds men and women, needless to say, yeah. is, um, God damn it! Like why? Or you know, there's, there's. Uh, I told Nadia I was reading this book uh, a couple years ago and had this awakening or kind of, I guess, a, a, a vision of of before the Greco-Romans and the Judeo-Christians sort of got their little, you know, patina over the whole thing. And this one scholar, she was talking about goddess culture and not even, it wasn't just about goddess stuff, but she, so apparently Minoan Crete, it was sort of the height of gender balance. And they know this because there are these cave paintings and it's such a beautiful image of men and women running together and they have similar muscularity Mm. and they're doing things together. It's not Mm. like you tend the fire. I, but they're like, you know, hunting together and they're dancing together. And there was this moment where both, you know, different kinds of humans could be expressed together. And I was like, ever since then, I'm like, Minoan creed.
3: Well that's where the snake goddess is from. That statue that is one of the oldest um images of a female that we have is from is the Minoan snake goddess and she has a snake and she's holding it up in one in each hand and she has these she's bearing her bare bosoms and then she has this beautiful skirt on underneath yeah she's Mm, powerful that's
0: beautiful i love the idea of it being more collaborative because so often what we do learn from more of the fundamental schools of thought around religion is it is men versus women Mm -hmm. instead of
1: we were talking in the car over i mean i was raised by feminist dad i have an incredible heart-centered husband you know not to say we don't have our shit but it's like these systems hurt everybody. everybody. Men mm-hmm. don't get to flourish, you know. You, I mean, I yeah. watch my son, who's like in this sort of. He's a wonderful school, you know. It's a, it's a more on the traditional academic side, which is great for him. But he's a heart centered guy. There's mm-hmm. just no way. And he and we had this moment where I came down on him too hard, but he was sort of long story short, like sort of chuckling about this like text thread where I, I believe what it was is there was this picture of a man in drag. That somehow got posted, and some one guy was like, um, "Wow, that girl's really cute." And then the gang was like, "That's really a woman," and like, "What are you gay?" And I was oh, like,
3: "Dude, yeah, yeah." And yeah, I had yeah. this
1: moment. I was like, oh. "I was like, oh my god, I know I'm getting, I got triggered, you know, because so <sighs> many of our friends are getting like, uh, blah, blah. Yeah. and but then I'm like, oh, but you're a 13 year old guy and get, blah blah blah. Why don't we go to the uber progressive school? They wouldn't have, the, you know." And then I and then I said to him like I, I that was I got triggered I'm sorry yeah. you know about that and then but then the next day he was like just so you know like our school is not homophobic he's like I think there's two like Trumpy dudes who are weird but everybody else I was Aww. like I really appreciate you saying Aww. that because
0: yeah. what a it's, thoughtful kid
1: yeah like it's he a comfort knew, to your mother <laughs> well his my best friends Bill and Chris who I told you about adopted two m- sons and one of their sons is trans. And Zavo, Xavier, Zavo became Zava and and they are two days, he's two days apart from Bodhi. So he was friends with Zavo, now he's friends with Zava. I asked him, I was like, do you feel awkward? How's that going? He's like, why are you being so weird? And then I said, you know, mommy and dad, we haven't been through this. Mm. (laughs) We, I've never, Mm. so, so there was a sleepover after Zave had come out as Zava. They always had sleepovers before. Now I pick Bodhi up the next day. I'm like, where, where did you sleep? And he's like, you know, in the, in the double bed like we always do. I was like, were you comfortable? He's like, yes. I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. If... A 12 year old girl wanted you to sleep over. I don't know if I, I know. you know what I mean? Isn't it funny? But it you, but, you, but I know. Let's, well, that's, it's all that's new. when and, we
3: were like you know. at House for All Centers and Saints. It's so queer that when we'd have church retreats at, for a while, we're like, we can't really do, like, here's the women. <laughs> and here's, the, you know what I mean? Cause you're like, so many people are queer. So many people are gender queer. They're trans <laughs> or people who are flu. You know, we're like, we just were like, fuck it. You guys figure it out. Like, <laughs> Everybody sleep where they're most comfortable. Right. We're out, you that's know? It should be. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. True.
0: That's so refreshing. Yeah. I think that's yeah. so needed. I'd love to talk briefly about the way that you talk about porn addiction and mm. porn issues and you mm. make some comparisons to Food. eating cake yeah. <laughs> yeah which I really loved and yeah. appreciated from a personal standpoint mm. because I went through a really severe eating disorder yeah. and interestingly when I have interviewed people who have gone through porn addiction
1: yeah
0: it's kind of like the spirituality and sexuality it's the same words we're using mm. yeah that's and it right. just feels like it's similar yeah. But yeah how did you come to kind of believe that 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 was a an analogy that made sense
3: well, because I think we have a complicated relationship to pleasure and that um, when, when I looked at this thing, we, Amy and I were talking about it earlier, that we have eaten sweets since the dawn of time. That's a, been a part of uh, human culinary tradition, right? But they were uh, it was honey and dried fruit, right? So there's nothing wrong with eating sweets. Um, There's nothing wrong with the fact that we kind of crave something sweet in our palate. Um, And we have created erotic imagery that has uh, stimulated us in different ways since we could scratch it inside caves. You know, every time there was an advent of a new form of communication, uh, the printing press, uh, video, movies, the Internet, very quickly uh, erotic imagery was shared um, in the new form and so to have um, your for your body to experience um, some kind of sexual stimulation by reading an erotic passage or seeing an image is an empathic response in your body and, and again there's nothing wrong with that um, but what we have now both in terms of sugar and in terms of pornography is we have, Greater access to condensed forms of it, more readily than we ever have. So. And an endless supply. Endless supply. And designed in, to be very stimulating. Right. That's right. And so, um, you know, it's how do you how do you appreciate, you know, the sweetness of strawberries when you just drank, you know, a two-liter bottle of Coca-Cola right it's so condensed in the sweetness that it's hard to appreciate the pleasure of the thing that it, that occurs in a more natural form, and the same with um erotic imagery it's very hard to appreciate the pleasure and the erotic um uh, stimulation of your middle-aged spouse's body when you just consume two hours of Pornhub, or you know, you just watched Edward Penis Hands or whatever. It is, is that a right? thing? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a title. That's my favorite porn title. <laughs> anyway, um, now again, wanting sweets, being turned on by erotic images—those are things that are morally neutral. But our brains are not necessarily equipped. For um, that wash of neurochemicals that we get from the very condensed form, readily available, that we can have in endless amounts.
0: Especially if you have an addictive If you have
3: an addictive, if you have that thing I do with booze, right? Now, so to say no, all pornography is equal, evil, nobody should ever watch it. Now, that is what I call low-hanging moral outrage fruit of both liberals and conservatives, mm. not to mention the fact that sex workers are a population that liberals and conservatives never allow to be reliable narrators of their own experience. Mm. We just project our own um, morality or ethics or justice issues onto them and their experience. They don't speak for themselves almost ever, right? And, um, and I won't do that. I will not do or say things. I will try to never do so- Or say things that are shaming to people in sex work. So um, there's that aspect as well. But I cannot drink half a beer and stop. um, Because the switch goes off in my brain and in my body. And it sets off craving and I'm off to the races. Now, I'm not going to say that because of that, Amy shouldn't have a beer right? Just like there are people, if they start watching pornography, that switch goes off in their brain and their bodies and they can't stop. There's all of this compulsive behavior around it. But I'm not going to say because some people have that and it destroys their lives, nobody should ever view porn. Um, So, I mean, I think there are just more nuanced ways we can be talking about this um, to make these decisions and that there are times for certain things and we can have a, a rhythm of feasting and fasting. We can have a rhythm of on and off and there are some things you know, it's okay to have a piece of cake but if you eat that and literally you only want to eat cake for two weeks after that and you never eat any vegetables or drink any water probably cake isn't for you. Right. right? Or if you <laughs>
0: shame yourself so much Correct. that it becomes
3: an obsession. The shame is the fuel that mm, that, that, that drives compulsive right. behavior. So what I found in my parish work Ooh, is so that if, 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 if that's we, the juice. That's right. Yeah. If it is. Yeah. If if you if we could make it into an actual fuel source, it could replace fossil fuels. It yeah. really could. Shame is that much of a driver. So what I found in my parish work is that if the shame about a behavior uh, decreases the compulsivity about that it, about that behavior decreases as well. But what we want to do instead is further shame the behavior, mm. and all it does is fuel it. Absolutely, absolutely. There's
1: I was um, re, um uh, anyway reading this book about, and at the end it was about decriminalizing um, all drugs. And what was interesting was there was this. Uh, Um, and it's the same prohibition, you know, I think it's along these lines. So there was a doctor in England, and he said, you know what, I have these 25 heroin addicts, and I'm going to provide them the heroin every Mm -hmm. day. They're gonna come to my office, they were going to, um, I'm gonna give them clean needles, I'm gonna make sure what they're taking is pure, you know. And what happened was, kind of like like five people on their own just decided like, I wanna get sober. The reason being, they weren't obsessed with how where am I gonna score?
3: It's like if your boyfriend in your 20s was like, I'm going to give you your the extra bedroom next to me in my apartment for you to sleep with the the other guy. Thank you. Exactly. You'd be like, well, wow, You take away the stigma and you go
1: like, oh, I actually don't want to do this because all of the behavior and the secrecy. camaraderie and the yeah, secrecy and I got to do this and I got to do that – um, I also thought of you know in uh, in Buddhism there's this idea that I love so much called skillful means and it's basically how something is being used right and so that so so again that's like way beyond first grade that's mm-hmm. like high school because I'm gonna take this thing that potentially is dangerous but potentially could be lifey too mm-hmm. so thinking about porn it's like okay am I you know single I need to feel pleasure I need to feel connected awesome am I but it, or am I in a relationship and it's – and and really a goal of mine is to feel closer to this person. Porn actually is helping me because it's like we can watch it together. I can say I like that or I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Or am I using it to isolate and, yes. you know, not mm-hmm. – so it's just how mm-hmm. it's used. Am and I, I think that's the thing. Am I eating
3: chocolate cake at someone's birthday party and it's like this huge celebration? It's so much fun. Or am I shame yeah. eating, Right. you know, a diet cake – A whole like low calorie cake by myself in the closet. Or instead
0: of dealing with feelings. Yeah. You know, trying to numb yourself by right. just binging right. or dieting or right. drinking or whatever. Well, it
3: is. I opened that chapter with the story about my grandmother, and then that an by the way, AIDS. I I totally never oh, heard of that. Oh my god! Oh yeah. So there are these candies that have anesthetic in them. Okay, know that but they were called AIDS. She would she would get this box and it looked like a box of caramels, and it and it she would unwrap a little cellophane square and it looked like it was candy, and she was never sharing with me, which was a sting of betrayal, and then. And my mom goes, Oh, honey, that's not candy, it's a diet aid, right? And it was an appetite suppressant that was very big, and it was called AIDS A Y D. E S I think A Y D S anyway A Y D S yeah they took it off the market in a hurry if you can imagine because <laughs> you can go on YouTube and it's like get you know because lose weight with the AIDS name, diet not yes because. correct because I
0: imagine the but, health effects were not very no good <laughs>
3: well I well. looked into it and the active ingredient was benzocaine local she was eating cubes of local anesthetic to dull her taste buds so that she would not eat actual sugar. Mm-hmm. Doesn't It just
0: hurt you, it right? It broke my heart, yeah. yes. And yeah. I love that you said that you hope in heaven. Jesus is feeding her Snickers, yes. <laughs> yes, I love that image. I, I hope so, too. Yeah. Could you both share a point in your life or a lesson that you learned that really helped you peel away at your own shame? You know,
3: having somebody else in my life who who was a non-anxious presence around issues of sex— and it was somebody I trusted. I mean, Amy can talk about stuff, and you're like, you really don't, you really are shameless. Like you, you don't seem to have shame about things like your your tight vagina. Or your, like <laughs> yeah, you just, you just say TMI. this shit all the time. You're <laughs> like the team, but I mean, it makes me go, oh, like it would make me uncomfortable to say that, and to then go. Well, why? Why would it make like what is that to dig in? And so sometimes the women in my life have been an embodiment of shamelessness that I then got to explore. Why am I not like that? And to maybe let go of a few things and go, I bet I could start saying things and they wouldn't make me uncomfortable anymore. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was seeing it modeled um, was was a key thing for me.
0: That's beautiful. So, so are you shameless,
1: Amy? I don't know. In fact, I was just thinking, like, after I, I don't
0: know, <laughs> maybe
3: my tight vagina story, I had
1: what I, what Brene Brown would call, like, a vulnerability hangover. I was like, oh, yeah, that came out of my head. <laughs> so I am all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Um... Oh well, yeah. Okay, I'll tell a story. So I, so I was a cheater before I met my husband, and I, and I, and I. That's just was my jam. And when I met, the longest I'd ever stayed faithful was three months, and I'd been in like five year relationships. I was like, I'm a cheater. (laughs) I'm not good. Like you wouldn't bet on me, you know. Like my husband, I was like, you really, you really want to marry this? But I had. um, So I did. uh, I'm a twelve stepper as well. So when I met Brad, and I knew, um, I heard. I think it was Pema Chodron said this great thing. When you know something, beyond like I want to do it, I don't want to do it, you know it's it's the way forward. And when I met Brad, I was like, yeah, you're cute and adorable, but it's like I know that being with you is the way forward and Mm. it's not always going to be easy. Um, Although it's been super fun. It's been 25 years. (laughs) Um, But so when I met him, and he was not a cheater. He's more of an ethical dude. And I was like, "Oh my God, I'm a, I'm a mess." But uh, so I did a, a a true sex inventory with my sponsor, who's still my sponsor, and um.
3: So, say what a sex inventory is. Well, like, a, not for, a fourth step
1: is. in the twelve step tradition is you. It's take, not
3: like what vibrators you have at home. No, <laughs> no. Like, you take uh, got- <laughs> the fourth step is you take a fearless
1: moral inventory of yourself, right? And then you you write it down, and then the fifth step is you share it with somebody else. And I had done some fourth stops, but it was always I would always like detour into like, well this happened but but I felt this way and love you know and I remember going like just the facts and you know it's like I seduced that married guy. I gave him a blowjob. Mm-hmm. I didn't call that guy the next day. I did and it was the mm-hmm. facts were like fuck cut and dry. Mm. So I read it to my sponsor who is the perfect sponsor for me. She's also an actress type. And she, the first thing she said was like, I love your sexuality.
3: Oh, what a gift. Oh my God. And she said, and
1: now, and now let's have you be a little bit more on top of it. I'm going to help you do that. Oh, but, wow. And honor, she came to my wedding and we had this enormous, we still, people still talk about our receiving line because we thought, rece- we didn't know it was like, Oh, have a kiss, go to the buffet. It was like hours. Cause people, you know, and Lucinda, hugged Brad, mm-hmm. and on my wedding day, she said, don't shut her down.
3: Mm-hmm. God, that's beautiful. That's so inspiring. You know what? I had the same thing. I've been talking about it a lot, The fifth, that f- first fifth step I did, because same experience. To be able to rattle off my crimes and misdemeanors and all of the shit. Was, I was ashamed of who I was and the way I had behaved, because by the time I sobered up and then looked at all that behavior, I was like, oh, great. What, who had I become I chose to fifth step with somebody who was dying from AIDS who I knew wouldn't be alive in two months oh, smart good oh, wow. choice <laughs> and she adjusted her oxygen tube <laughs> after I t- said everything and she was so she was so filled with compassion she received it with pure love and compassion no judgment no pause, and she said, girl, it's over now, and you're going to be okay, and that shit's in the past. Stop bringing it into the present with you. It's a miracle, right? I mean, the way in which we can embody that kind of compassion for other people and allow the dark stuff to be brought into the light, because only light can scatter darkness. Darkness has no fucking effect on light. None. Mm, right. Mm. And um the the way that when we are that compassionate presence for another person, it just dispels that darkness. And it does it's not in the driver's seat anymore for them. It's a huge well gift. and
1: also that idea of like you know, it was the beginning of my realizing like a wife doesn't mean I put that away. She's like, No, no, oh, no. That's yeah. what he like, are you kidding? That's How what he married. Beautiful. You're lusty. Oh You're that like hadn't occurred to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um and and this other really I incredible, that. I want to mention this other incredible therapist. So Brad and I, mm-hmm. it was kind of smooth sailing there for the we were together in love, got married, and then I did a, a a movie in the desert, and it was all it was literally if you were going to write a script of what would be my thing, you know. My co-star was this super sexy alcoholic, like boozy, boozy, boozy Scotsman, you know? And we had like love scenes. God bless my little fucking heart. Love scenes? Are you fucking kidding me? You have to literally (laughs) tell your brain, I can't, because you're doing everything. Uh, And then it's like, they yell cut. It's like, well, now we fuck. It's like, no. And BS, when you're single, uh, you do fuck them. But like, I had to go like, no, 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 no. And I remember being uh, in a pool with him. We're out in Death Valley. And this guy was like so wasted. And I'm like, I could totally fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. And then thinking like, and then my marriage would be done. And it mm-hmm. you know what it doesn't kill me not to, because mm-hmm. I fucked so many people. That's where I was like, Oh, I'm so glad I played around in my twenties, right? Yeah. So I had this whole thing, didn't no problem, you know. Brad visited me on the set. He gets a hit that there's energy between me and mm-hmm. this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's his worst nightmare of marrying an actress. You know of what I mean? Course. He's just like, oh, my God. So the so I was like, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. I, I don't... Da, da, da. And then I realized, like, I was gaslighting my dear friend who happened to be my mm. husband. And I took a deep breath and I was like, you're right. Mm. We are attracted to each other. I can tell you we didn't do anything. I mean, if I wasn't married, I might have. But I did not do anything. I thought this would clear the air. He was... Equally, if not more, freaked out. And then I realized, mm. like, we need to talk to somebody. Mm. So we went to this woman who's now passed away from cancer, but who mm. she was such a healer. And told, we thought we were, like, so unique. We have this problem. She's literally like, yeah, tell me. So. You know what I mean? It was so, like, actress and holly. And she <laughs> turned to Brad mm. and she said, Amy's going to fall in love with people she works with. Mm and then she turned to me and she said and you need to make sure your boundaries are impeccable.
0: Wow. Wow. And that's the way this marriage is going to be. How end. did that feel hearing it that? It
1: felt spot on it felt because true. it also it's was like true. oh feelings aren't facts.
0: Correct. I'm an actress. They're real, I literally conjure feelings. Yeah. It's I your conjure job. feelings. You're professional.
1: Right. So like that feelings. I can't shame myself for that? Yeah. Right. But like the container mm. has to be wicked sturdy. Hmm. But she said to Brad, yeah. Yeah, you're gonna come on set. Maybe don't go on set next time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but I, he needs boundaries
0: too. He needs mm-hmm. boundaries too.
3: But what, have, what would have not been helpful was for you to go. I have never fallen in lo- fallen for someone that I've been in love scenes with, right. and I never will. Right. Oh, my God. Because then that's... you're
0: carrying a secret. right? Totally.
3: It's just not And true. you're shaming
1: the feeling. And, I, you know, I think in 12-step huh. work, feelings aren't facts. And I have a million feelings, mm-hmm. man. I That's why I'm in the business of feelings, mm-hmm. right? So to just, like, let them flow like little storm clouds or, you know. And the more I don't shame the feelings and actually sell it, it's like I, people pay me to have feelings, huh. quite literally, you know. Yeah. But I need to work on... You know, like I've worked with my sponsor, because the natural thing is like, you know, oh, uh, shoot day is done, and then you receive a text like, that was so great. She's like, no, Mm. you don't text people after they all cut.
0: And even if they text you, you don't reply. reply.
3: Okay, so here's the thing. Just because we're saying look, there's no shame in being a sexual person. Your sexuality is beautiful. Stop shaming all this stuff. That doesn't mean anything goes. No. Right? We still have that's, values. We exactly. still
0: have ethics. Which exactly. vary too, right? Some people are non-monogamous. Sure. But, but when you're committed to somebody in a monogamous relationship, then that is something Well, that's that... the
1: other incredible part of the this therapy work too because I was... So we, you know, as all couples are, most of the, like literally 98 percent of the time we sing along and then there's this one thing... Where my thing is like, I feel claustrophobic and he feels insecure, right? We are the wrong key in the lock, right? That's our little work, which we've, you know. So I was already thinking like, there's this thing called marriage and I'm already failing and fuck you and fuck me. and And I remember sitting in therapy and she was like, listen, your marriage can be whatever you want it to be. It can be non-monogamous. You can see each other once a year. You can do see each other 24-7. But it is an agreement. It's not mm-hmm. coming from anywhere external but you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember looking at Brad, and I was like, I always say, like, that's the moment we got married. It's like, mm-hmm. what do you want to do, mm-hmm. my little mm-hmm. precious mm-hmm. soul? Mm-hmm. Rather than there's this thing mm-hmm. that the church says, or society, or, like, right, you, you right, wear a big right, dress. And right. I even though I was a feminist I wasn't really into that shit, there's still you know talk about fog it's like you gotta like whoa, you know what is your expectation what is your expectation do, do you want me to um, oh my god and I, well another awesome moment that may or may not be apropos when I met Brad and I, we felt deeply right away but I was also like really coming into my own career wise I was making my own money lots of reasons historically that people got married were no longer compelling like I, I have my own money I wasn't at that point sure I wanted to have kids or you know so I I remember saying to him like, yeah, well I don't you know I don't know if I want to have kids and that's just um, it's not an assumption and, da, da, da. and he's like oh okay, so because he listens to me and is a conscious person, so like then we're totally in love. We're like in you know eight months later away on the weekend, and he said he he was like, well you know I know about mar- you know I know you don't feel strongly about marriage. You're not sure about um, having kids, and I was like what? And she, he's like, well you said that. I was like, oh I I don't I just said what. I- I, I want to have a baby. Of course I want to have a baby with you. I think I said that so that there aren't assumptions uh,
3: about gender uh, roles. like resisting about, right. the pressures. Yeah, yeah, there was
1: something that was important
3: to me. Um, as soon as I'm not expected to do something, Correct. I'm yes. free to choose. it. Right. it's like I love yeah. you. I'm your baby. You're awesome. Totally. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. When I first
0: started working in the sex positive space, I remember thinking I thought that I might want to be non-monogamous. Sure, and I was already married. I'm still married, mm. and it was just me feeling like I need to challenge all these things, right? Sure. And what I've actually learned through this journey is I love monogamy. Like it's so me, but I have so much respect for other choices. Right, but by considering yeah, you know right. just considering but it, but, oh there's other things right. i but could But also choose. if
3: you're sex positive sometimes it feels like you're expected to be polyamorous oh right?
0: my gosh and everybody like exactly. yeah. and, and everyone's I'm like, like shocked that i married too they're totally. like are are That's people weird. intimidated when they date you and i'm like my husband <laughs> He's used to it
3: <laughs> well i'm i'm wired monogamous. honestly it's my yeah. wiring that that chemical powerful attraction that I have to the person I'm with it is this thing that happens him and me that's it I it literally just doesn't happen with anyone else I have, okay
1: I have a question for you because you circled around to the same person is is it have you had this feeling with other people it's just him. Oh, it's
3: so incri- I forgot
1: that it was the same dude until I read it That guy. when you were.
3: Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know You why. are wired for monogamy. I know. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, I'm not really attracted to that many people. So I don't. It's not hard for me to not cheat or something right. because I just like I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm not into you. But um, but this I, I see a picture of him and something I have a reaction in my body. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's so intense. Yeah. And there's something amazing about being. Fifty-year-old divorced woman, uh, because I'm not choosing somebody based on can, is this somebody I want to start a family with? I'm not choosing someone based on will I get financial security in my life? I have my own money, I have my own security. I ha- I don't need somebody to give me meaning or status in the world. Or, I or have vocation, vocation, then, yeah. or any of it. I have. All of those things completely on my own damn self, right? Mm -hmm. And so I get to be with the person who solely based on, like, I enjoy his company. He totally turns me on. Uh, You know, he's like this super sexy guy who has this really interesting spiritual life. And he's, he's a private dude, you know, single dad, lives in the suburbs, you know. He works in software,
0: you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, you can but, just guide completely by love and and like. That's it. Yeah, 100%. my my
1: brother—I've uh, two older brothers and my oldest brother, who I'm really I'm close to both of them. But my oldest brother is is getting out of a marriage, and he's a wonderful just he's just a wonderful guy. But he said something. He's having he he's with somebody now who's just who's awesome. But he said that when he was dating on some of the dating sites. He described exactly that. He said, it's like college, but even better. Because in college, you're secretly going like, is this my partner, the father of my children? Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's all, that story's been told. So the only reason to be with somebody is because you want to be with them. You're not staying together for the kids. You're not doing any of that. And it was such a positive view of this moment in life Um and, and if there's a
0: connection, it's genuine. You don't need it.
3: Yeah, totally. There's no need. Yeah, which I love. suffering. so freeing. And
0: then you know that the person's with you for that reason, right. too. Right.
3: You know, I also want to say that um, I did not choose badly in terms of um, who I was married to, even mm. though there was not the, the emotional and physical intimacy in our relationship. He's a good man, and... amazing father and that is what I needed in that time of my life even though there was part of me that didn't flourish within it um like I always say nothing's ever only one thing and so I one of the things when I got divorced was that I told myself I will not just tell like one story over and over about who he is and what this relationship was um because it's not the truth you know so um Like you can have things that maybe you realize I need to get out of this or it's not ideal and still honor them for what they brought. In good ways to
0: your life. girl Boner radio I is owned and operated really and executively produced by me past. August McLaughlin with technical producer around, and, and audio extraordinaire Mackenzie Maal yeah, as your part your of the choices. period podcast says, totally. network because an affiliate of starburns industries our scars learn more about the girl boner podcast yep. brand movement like, and book series at girlboner.org, and more about period at periodnetwork.com a place of really struggling can hear and go okay I have this work to do maybe I feel prepared to jump in or I'm I'm willing to but I'm not sure what I'm working toward.
3: Oh, I to me I I really like the term integration. So to to not bifurcate your body and your psyche and that your there is a way in which whole like the word salvation, the the root of that word is soto and Greek, which means like wholeness, healing. So to me, salvation is integration and wholeness. And to say like I my the sexual part of me, psychological, physical, spiritual, it's all integrated into one thing. I don't have to section these things out, and all of them inform the other things and enrich the
0: other things. So, mm. Yeah, that's very beautiful. And about you, Amy, you've done so much work going through the twelve steps and and on your marriage. What's one of the shiniest rewards? Um,
1: well, I i don't know if it's a reward, but when you first were talking a moment ago, I thought of something Nadia said earlier, which is kind of the shimmery moment of saying something out loud mm. um, and being... Uh, Just authentic, and and that is a a visceral experience um, that we have in the 12 steps of having something rattle around in our brain for a really long time and putting language on it, witnessed by other people, and then letting go of where Mm -hmm. it may go, Mm -hmm. but it's the first step toward actually um, coming out of our heads into our bodies and into
3: being more... um,
0: Getting free, man. I love that so much. Thank you so much for being here. you uh, Where can we learn more about you?
3: Oh, gosh. NadiaBoltzWeber.com, I suppose.
0: Beautiful. And, Amy, I know you're active on social media. What's the best place to uh, find I think you? It's,
1: uh, I think I'm just Amy Brennan on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you for like, your work. I <laughs> think. <laughs> <laughs> I so appreciate you being here today. Thanks oh,
3: so thanks much. for the work you do, yeah. too. This was really It means honor. a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you haven't and leave us a rating and simple review while you're there. You can also listen along on Spotify or iHeartRadio. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.